it's time to get cozy and watch a Christmas movie. Cuddle up with a cutie and watch a Christmas movie. It's a podcast in a queer tree. Um, hello and welcome back to a podcast in a queer tree, a podcast where I continue to try and think of something clever to say about our podcast day after day. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. My name is Nicole. And I'm Scott. And today we have a special guest. Yes. Welcome special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, hi everyone. I'm Allison uh, and I'm an arts worker living in Toronto and pal of Nicole's, uh, and that's my voice on the theme song. You nailed it. Thank you so much for that theme song. Yes. Allison is responsible for that amazing melody that you hear every time you listen to our amazing podcast. Yeah. Um, today, we are talking about the movie Christmas Inheritance. It's another Netflix movie. Yeah. Right? As Nicole Googles the really description. Really struggling the to find the description right while, now. While you're doing that. Well, what, what, the way you described it to me was she has to deliver a letter to a small town in order to become CEO of the company. That is pretty much what happens, yeah. That's yeah. exactly They it. don't trust the postal service. <laughs> Can't blame them, no. really. It's America. It's so. dark. Um, so this movie is from 2017. So is it's, it really? Yeah, it's significantly older than because most of the ones we've been watching are like 2019, 2020. Yeah, I thought it was brand new last year. When oh. I, I, I think I only watched it last year. 2017. Wow. Um, so the synopsis is to be the CEO, an heiress is challenged by her dad to deliver a Christmas letter in person to his ex partner, business partner in their hometown, traveling by bus, incognito, and with only $100. Will she learn something from the people there? That sounds like it mostly takes place on the bus, which is like a really different movie. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the same movie. <laughs> the Christmas bus. The Christmas bus. Um, so, uh, Cooley, usually we start with bingo cards. Oh, shit. That's what I forgot. That's the thing that's in the other room. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great, go get your bingo card, we'll wait. <laughs> While well, she's getting her bingo card. You know how Netflix, when, you, um, when you're when you just browsing around Netflix, it gives you like a percentage rating of yes. how compatible it thinks you are with this movie? Yeah. I had a 96% <laughs> for this movie. And I'm not sure if I should be insulted by that or not. I think it makes but a lot of sense. Considering what I watch, yeah. Cooley, do you remember when you brought this up on Netflix, what percentage compatibility Netflix told you this movie was for you? I have no idea. Scott just revealed that his was 96. Woo! Very compatible with this the, movie, apparently. We should be married. This, this podcast is really fucking with your algorithms. <laughs> No, I was already watching these movies. <laughs> um, sorry, I don't want to derail us. Have you guys talked on the podcast already about MPCA? MPCA. The production company? No. Oh, this? do they produce a lot of the a lot of these movies? I've I've noticed their name keeps coming up, but we yeah. haven't really. So MPCA it. stands for it stands for something like American Movie Production Company or something yeah. absurd like that. Is it a Netflix um, company? Motion Picture Company uh, of America or something. 
Yeah, Motion Picture Corporation of America Films. Yeah. It um, sounds sinister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since 2013, they've produced over 40 Christmas and family movies. Yeah. Uh, including Christmas Prince. Yes. Uh, the Princess Switch. Yes. And the sequel to Princess Switch, which is coming out this holiday season oh we know which you probably already know about yeah oh, yeah, yes. yeah yeah we know eagerly anticipating so i wonder if netflix um, owns that company or they just buy everything that company makes that company has a partner so i i did some research yeah, that company has did. a partnership with netflix but they also have a partnership partnership with hallmark but mm-hmm. they started out as like an independent production studio and they're the production studio behind dumb and dumber from 1994 <laughs> wow <laughs> Weird. Yeah. So they obviously, and the thing that they seem to do before 2013 is make like kind of not particularly good movies, but that have like actual stars like Val Kilmer and Samuel L. Jackson in them. Like that seems to be kind of like how they roll, which seems very consistent with these. Um, so they're taking advantage like the of the streaming things. market basically. They're, totally. they're, not, they're not making theatrical movies. They're like what we used to call a straight-to-video production house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you for doing that <laughs> impressive research <laughs> that, that we would not have thought to do on our own. It's great having guests I know. who know so, things. Cooley, you're the second guest we've had. Jacqueline was our first guest um earlier in the week or last week who knows what time is it next week it doesn't yeah next week i don't know um and she was like at a few points she was like okay so should we move along and i was like yes thank you so much <laughs> like people are really doing their due diligence far better than we are um so i am happy I love to it. I'm, I'm into it great um i'm happy to announce that i got a line Oh, really? I got a line in this bingo card. I'm very pleased about it. I'm going to tell you what it is. Uh, Original song or performance. Mm -hmm. Big deadline approaching. Mm -hmm. Widower. Mm -hmm. Okay, I gave myself this one photographer, but I counted Jake's artistic Oh, yeah. Thank you. As a photographer. Well, there's a photographer at the beginning. When she falls into the tree, there's like a bajillion paparazzi. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, actually, she like makes a deal with the photographer to go flip over the the the. Uh, she, she's she, like, she vaults over the Christmas over display. the train or whatever. She's like, I'll get you a good shot. Yeah, uh, and then off on the wrong foot. All, all a sweet line. Nice. This might be my first bingo. Well, mm-hmm. I think you had one at the very beginning. We both did, and we and we were filled with hope. That's true. I have I have two near lines. But I'm not. So, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Because oh, I, uh, I think it's it's like so close. There's that one scene where um, the Ellie, Ellie, Ellie. and Aunt, uh, uh, whatever, Andy McDowell, Debbie. Oh yes, Debbie. they do have some. They have like a yes. conversation in bake shop that's about how to bake but then it quickly turns into a conversation about uh her nephew's like sad love life yeah 
Um, I had Bechdel test on mine and I did not mark it off. Yeah, I, I, I didn't either. I didn't think it was significant enough to count. Okay, great. Uh, I also had uh, Passes Duvernay test on mine, which I don't know if you're familiar with the Duvernay test, Cooley. Yeah, it did not pass. Absolutely, obviously it didn't. It absolutely <laughs> didn't. In fact, I got to mark off minor, minor POC character, uh, per POC character with a minor role. Is there one? Who is it? Um, well, the fiance. And Zeke. Yeah, and Zeke are both light-skinned black men. Oh, yes. As far as I can Which tell. Which I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, like, so minor, you probably forgot that those characters existed because they were, like, basically not in the movie at all. <laughs> well, yeah, Gray shows up. Yeah. Towards the end. He's there at the very beginning. Yeah, like um, being a shithead. He's such a douchebag. Yeah, he's yeah. a ding dong. Yeah. Zeke is nice. Oh, I think we're going to argue about this because I actually. About Gray, really? Obviously set up to be the villain, but like he doesn't really do anything wrong the entire time. He's just like, why are you going uh, to this place with no notice when we had plans? Oh, but he's so <laughs> condescending. You're right, you're right. But you know who's way worse? Jake. Jake. <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't have a lot of great choices, does Ugh. she? No. Scott, did you get a bingo? A line? I did not, sadly. Um, I'm just looking for stuff that I got that you guys did not. I, I checked off uh, seasonal town name. So it's like Snow Falls Snow or something. Falls. Snow Falls. Uh, event planning. Mm -hmm. um, I checked off competing with your love interest. Um, because I... For some reason, I, it felt like she and Jake were competing about something at some point. I don't know. Was well, pretty... there was the moment where she like takes over getting donations from. Oh, the, that's uh, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which seems just rude. <laughs> yes. Like you've been working on this for months. Cool. That scene. Like... That whole scene is nuts. undermine all. Of like she's you. trading jars of cookies <laughs> for MacBooks, <laughs> and yeah, it's bizarre. She's got like a car just stuffed to the gills <laughs> with stuff. It's, yeah, anyway, not to get ahead of ourselves. I can't but. wait for that scene because I have a list of all the things I would have bid on if I was at that auction based on what's in the car. Okay, so Ellen is at this gala and she's supposed to make a speech and she's nowhere to be found. The party heiress is missing, meow, meow, meow. And then it cuts to her, she's performing for a group of paparazzi there's some guy who's like writing her checks and i think she is like or maybe he is like if you vault over that christmas display i'll double the donation and she's like you're on and so she does it so she's actually being a jackass for a good cause totally. yeah she's I mean, trying she to being that much of a jackass it seems like she's She's vaulting over a display and knocking over a Christmas tree at a fancy dress party. So that's a bit of a jackass I mean, thing I don't think she's being, I think she's being like maybe a little bit bratty, mm. but I think that gala looked super boring. Oh yes. And if- It's a fundraiser. <laughs> if I were her, I would also be trying to amuse myself with literally anything. So like doing tricks to make the event more successful seems 
you know, seems fine. Yeah, it seems rude, but nobody really cares until she falls over. That's when it's like a real problem. Yeah. Everyone's Um, like, oh, that's... Party heiress. Ellen's a hot mess again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I think we're supposed to take away, because we have, she has the conversation with her father after that, and I think he's just tired of her bullshit, and he's like, look, I'm going to be retiring soon. I need to know that you're mature enough to do this. Hence the premise of like the, the real plot of the movie basically is he's going to send her to snow falls. Is that snow falls. Snow, snow does. Fall. It's where the company began. Yeah. Uh, which I guess, are we to assume then that snow falls is her hometown? Yeah. She used to visit there. It is her hometown. Because we learn later in the movie that she's not been back to Snow Falls since her mom died. Right. Oh. And, and somebody has a photo of like the three of them. Yeah. That's uh, right. When she was a little girl and somebody finally, it's Andy McDowell, I think Debbie. finally clicks in and yeah. is like, oh, you're, you look just like your mother. Right. Who I knew. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This dialogue though with her dad is so forced. Like I, I actually, he seems like a kind of a sweet guy. Like he's like, just kind of like gently like making fun of her like he's like how old are you 12 (laughs) (laughs) which I really appreciated like it's 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 like the nicest relationship in the movie um he's he's very supportive of her I think yeah and he also says like once you become CEO you'll be the face of the company so it seems like he's not it's not like oh it's all riding on this it's like you're gonna be CEO at some point anyway yeah you know, he seems like he's got a lot of trust in her, even though there's this whole thing. Like, there's, like, so little, like, actual tension or conflict in this whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's it's none. like, oh, we got to, like, manufacture some, like, gentle, gentle, predictable drama. <laughs> yeah, like, even though the, like, crux of the movie is that she, like, won't inherit the company if she doesn't do this, it feels very low stakes. So she's, she has to do this to like prove herself. She has to go, she can't go with her credit cards. Right. She has to go incognito. So she makes up a nickname or a name, which is Ellie London. She doesn't even make it up. Someone asks her her name and she starts to say. Oh, right. Ellen London. Ellie London. And she's like, yeah, London. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, And she has a hundred dollars. But first we have this scene in the restaurant where she's like, I want to do an apology over lunch. Right. Uh, uh, This is totally on me. I want to do something to make this up. And her dad's like, what did you have in mind? And she's like, I didn't get that far. (laughs) So then he like pitches her this idea, which makes me wonder like, if she did have an idea, it seems like this plan with Zeke was like already in motion. So if she had had an idea of like, let me raise more money for this Christmas fundraiser. Like, yeah, that's her first shit. pitch. She's she like, never have become CEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that this was her dad's plan all along? Like, when do you think he actually hatched this scheme? I got the impression that he and Zeke are probably like they're texting back and forth. Well, they don't text. Oh, that's right. Zeke doesn't text. They probably have like a monthly phone call or something. 
Um, so I assume they've cooked it up just in their general, like Zeke probably saw the, the front page of, by the way, props department. <laughs> nice job on that newspaper. Uh, Scott loves a props department uh, observation. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it's I, that's the job. If I was working on a movie, I would love to work in a production department, making like fake books, fake newspapers, fake web interfaces, all that stuff. So yeah, she's gonna she's gonna take a bus to Snow Falls. Yeah, she gets off the bus, and there's this weird bit of business where oh, but wait, first, I mean, you missed one of my favorite characters in the movie, which is Kathy Garber. Oh, I thought you were gonna talk about Gray Pittman. <laughs> Gray Pittman. Oh, her, yeah. Well, yeah. So first we have a scene in her apartment or Gray's apartment. I think it's her apartment um, where she's explaining to Gray like what's going on. And Gray's like, but our tickets to Maui are non-refundable. And she's like, I'll be back by Christmas Eve. I feel like the phrase I'll be back by Christmas Eve should be on our bingo cards. Mm. It's come up at least twice. Yeah, that's definitely a trope. Um, so so, and he's just like, Cooley, I feel like your point of like, he's understandably upset that these travel plans are being derailed last minute is totally real. I would be annoyed about that too. I do feel like there's this way that he's like, this seems frivolous and dumb and like by association like isn't taking her job seriously because mm. like this is her job right it is like frivolous and silly and it's a fluffy movie and whatever but it's like it's in a serious way she can't become ceo as quickly or maybe at all without doing this so it kind it just kind of feel, felt to me like he was being really condescending and he's like well it's not a real job anyway so like I don't see why you have to do this. Yeah, there's probably a probably a bit of like him being condescending, but also he doesn't take her seriously because she's never taken her own work seriously. Maybe is the vibe mm. we're supposed to get. the The note that I wrote about him after his first scene in the movie is that he seems to be some kind of Ayn Rand fan. Oh, interesting. <laughs> because I think he actually says something about uh, charity. Oh yeah. And how it's actually selfish or some Ayn Rand sounding nonsense. Oh yes. Oh, I wrote extensive notes about that. Yeah. Um, later. Yeah. yeah. So that really I mean, turned me a, off of him. I think there's a funny thing like overall about this character, which is that he's supposed to like embody the like bad big city, like corporate ideology. Right. Yeah. That she's rejected. But then also the whole root of the movie is about her like proving herself for this company that has this sort of arcane, like not arcane, archaic, weird. I wish um, it was arcane. Idiosyncratic. <laughs> yeah, I wish it was arcane too. <laughs> the Christmas letters are magic. Um, <laughs> they summon the devil. <laughs> but you know, like it's like, what company works this way? Um, where like all of the major decisions are communicated in like a hand delivered box of letters. Like I think that's once per year. Cults. Cults. Yeah. 
cults operate yeah. that way. But then it's also like, I don't know, there's like a couple of things in the movie where they're like, oh yes, this is New York. Like on the opening scene, they're like playing jazz music. And then they're like, <laughs> oh, we're going to have this black guy be the boyfriend who represents the big city. That's how you um, know. Just like. That's how you oh, know it's New God. York. There's jazz in the air everywhere. Um, Because it's not an anti-corporate movie. It's deep. All. It's deeply not. No. But it's so they, th their corporateness is like weirdly cuddly. <laughs> At least this corporate organization is. Well, they spend so much time talking about how Home and Hearth Gifts is like has small town roots. It's like sweet the you know at the end she's like proposing a new gift line from snow falls of handmade goods or like and i presumably inspired by not actually handmade goods um are we supposed to believe for one <clears throat> second that the people of snow falls do not recognize her as soon as she steps off the bus I have the same question. Like the, the company is from there. Okay. They, they must see pictures of her in the tabloids all the time. Before right. we talk about her getting off the bus, I need to talk about Kathy Garver, who, who is my favorite character. Who is Kathy Garver? Kathy Garver is the old lady knitting on the bus. Oh, her. She's not that old. She's not <laughs> yeah, that old, she's not that old. <laughs> She's like 40. And she's younger than me, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I remember that actor too. I, I meant to look her up because I know her from other stuff. Oh, sounds like a moment for where do I know that actor from? Usually it's me asking Scott. Um, okay, so she gets off the bus. Well, there's this bit of business where she's had to stow her luggage. She's, she's only supposed to be there for like a day, right? But she's brought three giant wheelie suitcases, mm -hmm. one of which it's very snowy and one of them rolls out into the street and gets hit by a vintage cab, apparently the only cab in town, <laughs> driven by, of course, her love interest. Jake. Jake Collins. Uh, I know he's, that actor from Stuff too. He's uh, in uh, Girls. Oh, was he on Girls? actual name is also Jake. <laughs> That's fine. Which is like kind of a... Um, is it a trend in this movie? It's certainly a trend in Hallmark movies. Actors being just named their names? Yeah. yeah. The star is Eliza Taylor. Yes. Very close Jake. to the name Elvie. Yeah. Well, it's easy to remember your character's name when it's your name. That's <laughs> <laughs> so when you're churning out 40 of these a so, year. Some actors are not the sharpest tools in the shed, so. I have a Nicole's Trivia Corner <clears throat> when you're both ready. Born ready. Born ready. <clears throat> Cooley, are you ready for Nicole's trivia corner? I'm ready. So the snow in Snow Falls is shaving cream because this was filmed in spring. Mm -hmm. And I, once I learned, I learned this very early into the movie. And so the scene where she's like rolling her suitcase down the street through the snow I really encourage you to re-watch that scene because once you know it's shaving cream. I, I forget <clears throat> how soon it comes after the cab scene, but there's a scene where they encounter a homeless guy in Snow Falls, the oh, one homeless guy. That comes later, Baxter. Yeah. So they have this conversation about 
charity and this or they, they have this conversation about homeless people and ellie is like shouldn't we be encouraging them to make their own money charity makes us feel good but it's selfish that's where i think that's where she quotes gray and that's where i was like oh he does does he exactly and and yeah yes. so yeah she literally that, says that's my where fiance gray was, says giving money to the homeless doesn't work right yeah yeah that's where gray was dead to me <laughs> yeah i mean with good reason yeah. and then jake responds um that's a nice theory i think baxter appreciates every penny that gets him closer to a warm meal <sighs> Jake is such a salt of the earth good guy. Isn't he? <laughs> I there's this whole thing about this character Ellie that she's supposed to be, you know, she's about to be the CEO. Uh, as far as we know, she's like trustworthy and ready for that. But we see that undermined at like every turn. You know, because she's played as this kind of like dits. Um, And so here we just see her like regurgitating her fiance's opinion without thinking about it at all. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of seems like the place that she gets to at the end of the movie is to be like, oh, corporations can be socially responsible or something like it's it's a really convoluted message in this world and for the audience that these are made for, this is a comfortable way for people to interact with hardship. Like seeing Baxter and then having Jake be kind, but um, condescending and not actually doing like substantial things or like long-term significant things to help him like those things would be like uncomfortable, mm. you know? Like if Jake was like advocating for Baxter to have affordable housing or like, you know, trying to convince like a social service provider in the town to like help Jake like live a comfortable life. Like the audience for these movies wouldn't be behind that. But Jake being like, here's a $5 bill. He just wants a warm meal mm. is like comfortable for like middle-class people to see. And to jump ahead again, but following your point, um, what impresses Jake in the end about uh, Ellen. Ellen is that scene where there's a bad storm and there's a bunch of people stranded for some reason. And so they, Jake of course runs an inn. So he, they bring them all into the inn and then Ellie, Ellen, remembers the homeless guy mm -hmm. and goes and like literally runs out the door to to get him through the shaving cream <laughs> and brings him back to the inn and jake sees this because jake apparently forgot the homeless guy baxter yeah baxter and jake sees ellen do this and he's like ah oh, okay maybe she's maybe she's all right yeah maybe she's good like me and despite managing the inn, it has never occurred to him that yeah. this is an option that he has every literal day. Every yeah. day he chooses not to house Baxter. True. Yeah. Which goes to your point, Nicole, that it's like, oh, it's about representing or positioning charity at like a special thing that you do at Christmas. Um, oh my God. Yeah. You know, rather than like requiring any kind of long-term commitment to like 
I don't know, building a, like a more just world. Totally. <laughs> Did you notice that Ellen doesn't, being a wealthy person, Ellen does not seem to have encountered many things ever before. <laughs> everything is new to her including like, water bottles or eggs yeah <laughs> like separating an egg she's like should i like do i separate them by size by size or by weight um so shortly before uh they encounter baxter they're walking to the cafe together and there's like constant commentary from jake especially about how He's like razzing her clothing choices. He's like, boy, you're sure underdressed. And so on this walk, he's like, yeah, you're like not wearing the right coat. You're in the deep north now, which brings two questions up for me. One, is this movie supposed to, or is, is Snowfall supposed to be in Canada? Because two, New York is cold. Yeah, they're in upstate New York. <laughs> like New New York is like sure slightly more south than Canada, but not by very much. Yeah, New York City is cold. It's very cold. Yeah, yeah. in the winter. Yeah. So yeah, it's a strange, strange note. I just I, I that baffled me, and it like you know I feel like there's an amount of nitpicking that we can do where it's like listen this movie is what it is don't think too hard about it but this seemed kind of like a big oversight to me and well, it she... keeps coming up like this isn't the only this is just like a perpetual thing throughout this entire movie and um her clothes aren't that bad you know she's wearing like a pea coat and a scarf uh, yeah you know, at some point she's wearing like a dress and like little heels which seems like you know, maybe not the most practical choice, but not like outlandish. It just, yeah. I'm like, if you wanted her, like she should have been a California kid, I guess, yeah. if you wanted this joke to make sense. But like people who live in New York understand what winter is. I think it's just Jake nagging her some more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the dynamic here, isn't it? Really, mm. maybe that's why you checked off competing with love interest because it's really like maybe it's not very like nice banter. No. Ever. Yeah, yeah, that's to actually like each other. That's true. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I guess like like I. I often say to one of my dates that teasing is one of my love languages. Mm. Um, you know, like lovingly poking fun at someone for a thing. I mean, I feel like you and I do this all the time already, Scott, in the True, context but, of this podcast. But you know what? From a partner, I don't like teasing sometimes. Oh, okay, I, sure. I actually really dislike it. Yeah. But from a friend, like, quote unquote, ball busting, like, I don't really mind. Sure. It's all contextual, I guess. But it it does seem like, like when they when he mostly like takes a shot at her, it does seem mean. It doesn't seem like it's coming from like even a flirtatious place. He's no, just like, nice. wow, you're a fucking idiot, aren't yeah, you? It's class <laughs> resentment uh, or that's why I, I don't get why the people of the town don't immediately recognize her. That would inform this dynamic. I mean, if, if I... everyone's like, oh, you're just this spoiled idiot. I think when you're not expecting something, though, it's hard to see. Yeah, I guess. Like, why would the daughter like of she's, a she enormous, hasn't been there for years, so they're like. Why would the daughter of an enormous corporation that like probably doesn't actually play a part in their day to day lives? Like, sure, it was born there, but like, what do they care? You know. Mm, I guess. 
Too bad the movie didn't tell us. <laughs> movie didn't tell us a lot of things. Um, so there's a scene in the cafe. Like they immediately go to the cafe. We find out that Debbie, Andy McDowd, Dowell, McDowell, uh, dated Ellen's dad in high yes. school. My note to that um, was uh, know him. Why I fucked your dad, <laughs> <laughs> which is a hell of a thing to tell someone. Dad, though, don't you guys think? Yeah, do you recognize him? He's a Canadian character actor. He's been. In tons I was of just stuff. gonna say he's Canadian. <laughs> yeah. I don't recognize him because I feel like he was on Corner watch... Gas, but I, I don't know. He's he's certain, uh, he's normally in comedies. Yeah, he was on Little Mosque on the Prairie. Oh, okay, yeah. Murdoch Mysteries. Ooh. And Cube Two, Hypercube. The, like the movie Cube. There's a Cube too. There's a sequel to Cube. Wow. <laughs> All right, we're going to pivot this podcast <laughs> to a completely different subject. The next eighteen episodes will be about the Cube franchise. Yeah. Um, I have a note that there's a very a wall of very nice looking preserves. Did you see those, Cooley? I did. I did. Um... Nice job, props. Yeah, yeah this is like a cute spot. I would hang yes. out here. It's very good. Andy, Andy McDowell is a Hallmark star, by the way. She's on a, one of the Hallmark TV series. Oh. I forget the name of it. but um... I think she does a pretty good job in this movie. Like, I think she's like a believable, like, sweet, motherly figure. But I didn't find her like, I found her just saccharine enough for the type of movie and the type of role. She She's... That is a funny scene where she's like, yeah, I fucked your dad. <laughs> okay, but she doesn't say, I fucked your dad. Uh, maybe not. I'm not, I'm not just imagine that. <laughs> she's like, I think she's sort of shyly like, yeah, and we dated. And then he met your mom. Yeah. Like, I think it passes yeah. quickly. So Jake hates Silent Night. This scene is also oh. where we learn that Jake can't stand the song <laughs> Silent Night. Yeah. <laughs> he's got He's got like Silent Night PTSD. Like, he's like attacking that jukebox it's weird <laughs> it's really weird i have a note that uh, jake this hates seems... silent night and being set up on dates ellie hates carolers when she meditates because <laughs> that's like the next wow <laughs> yeah that's amazing a beautiful little couplet Thank yeah you. very proud she um, doesn't know how to make a bed this seems to be like a theme in these movies Sorry. What Zoom. The... Oh, that somebody hates <laughs> carolers? No, that like one person is like trying to get over something that's like a real big trauma. Uh, and then one person is like having a hard time with a breakup. And those mm -hmm. people meet. And heal and each other. You know, yeah. yeah. They can they can uniquely understand each other. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, for sure. Cooley, I thought you were going to say that a common theme in these movies is uh, people who experience trauma to the soundtrack of very specific Christmas songs. <laughs> I mean, that could be true. There's a market for that. <laughs> you tell me. That's in Cube 3. Oh, God. <laughs> you go into a different compartment, it's a different Christmas song, and you're getting stabbed with something. Oh, God. Um, okay, At back this... The scene at the inn, are we done in the cafe? I think so. 
Cooley. She needs money. Listen, if if I was staying in an inn and someone put a warm, like fun fur covered water bottle in my bed and didn't tell me about it, and then my foot touched it, mm. I would probably scream and think it was an animal too. Yeah, you'd flip out. Like, I don't think she was out of line, and Jake is a total dick about it. Yeah. Also, she doesn't know she what a like, hot water bottle is, apparently. Is she like, what's a water bottle? She doesn't know what the hot water bottle is. She's never seen one before, apparently, because she's so rich. Wow. Yeah. I have a bit of a beef with this scene. Uh, and again, not to like undermine the fun nonsense, but like, you know, she like screams, there's something in her bed, but, and he opens the door like immediately. He's right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> he was waiting outside. Like, that tells us something. <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Or he like did it intentionally and he's like, ha, 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 when is she going to find it? So he's going to give her a job helping out around the inn to pay for her continuing to stay there since Zeke is not there is what I gathered. Correct. And she doesn't know how to make a bed. I love She's gonna be a maid. I love a cleaning montage. I love yeah. it so much. Did you I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of seeing a movie called Blue Crush about Oh yeah. Okay. I love Blue Crush. Okay, so you know the football players oh, and what yeah. their room was my note was like, did the football players from Blue Crush stay in this room? Because <laughs> it's just a disaster. Like, who who goes to a cute inn? Christmas in upstate New York. Christmas partying. It just wrecks the place. There's like a bra hanging on the Christmas yeah, tree. It's gross. But this is like a props department thing. I feel like, Scott, this is your jam. Because it's like, yeah, there's like some beer bottles and a bra. And they're like, this is how we show that something wild happened. Yeah. people were really going nuts up in uh snow falls wow um but so before right before the cleaning begins gray phones the inn and oh that's right ellie has a phone conversation with him and this is the perfect moment where non-monogamy would come in handy mm. so gray is upset that um Ellie isn't going to be home in time for his big company Christmas party. He's like, you know, I was supposed to take you. You were going to be my date. He's like, well, maybe I'll just take Karen from accounting now. And she get, you know, Ellie gets all jealous. She's like, Karen from accounting. That bitch. He doesn't yeah. even say, I'll take her. He's like, maybe I'll talk to her. Oh, maybe shit. Maybe I'll hang out with her. Ooh. It's like pretty. Uh, Grace, gross, man. It's dicey yeah that's dicey so i'm just like he does say though in this scene he says tradition what is this fiddler on the roof, fiddler on the roof. <laughs> i laughed at that pretty hard self-aware moments in this movie where you're yeah. like oh they kind of know what they're doing and this this little bit is kind of witty it's fun um but i just think that if that this is where non-monogamy could come in handy. It's like, yeah, you can't be at your person's Christmas party. Take a different person. Bingo bongo. Yeah. 
what's the trouble? You don't even need non-monogamy for that. You just have to be like, you can't be here for this party. It's reasonable for me to bring someone else. Take Karen from accounting. She's going to be there anyway. Yeah. You have to have one friend who is not in your relationship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Someone who's not a threat. Um, I don't know. I don't do a lot of um, like hotel housekeeping. Do you think it's normally done in heels? <laughs> she. I'm, I'm guessing no. She did not bring her cleaning clothes. No sensible shoes. Really not sensible shoes. No. She, uh, she manages to literally atomize a vintage vacuum cleaner. Yeah. It gets clogged with like underwear or something and just literally explodes, explodes into a room full of dust. And like, don't worry, somehow she got behind the tree in yeah. time. Yeah, she <laughs> dove behind the tree. I wish I, I wish they had shown yeah. that instead of just being off camera. <laughs> that would have been amazing. So after this cleaning montage, there's a scene in the cafe where Debbie is cleaning the table where Home and Hearth was. Oh yeah, they were founded. Birthed, founded. Yes, thank you. Birthed is weird. And she, Debbie looks at a photo of uh, Ellen's dad, her late mom, and her when she's little and has this moment of realization. Yeah. Oh my God, it's Ellen Langford. Also, we find out that Jake was married to a Wall Street broker. Oh. And she left him for some Wall Street broker. So that's why he hates the big city people. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. And we learn that she doesn't know how to separate the eggs. Oh, yeah. Which is, that's she, also like a legitimately funny moment. It is. But she's she, like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Just staring at these two bowls of eggs. Yeah. <laughs> she has just a laughable lack of skills. Yeah. No skills. Very few skills. I like how she also gets into this situation by being like, my job is that I'm a baker. <laughs> yeah. Glad you don't have a kitchen. Uh, <laughs> we've just been there the night yeah. before. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the diner is the the inn's kitchen, I guess. Exactly. The, the inn, for some reason, does not have its own kitchen, which is weird. Well, Debbie makes all the pastries and brings them over every yeah. morning. Yeah, they must. They just do like continental breakfast, I guess. Yeah, but like I don't know what cream to put. Yeah, the clotted <laughs> cream. Clotted cream. Yeah, I love that guy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, like what? There are so many other. Like, I feel like she could have said, like, I'm a publicist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a consultant. No, yeah. No one would have been like, oh, I need help with that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm a librarian. No one's going to be like, oh, there's an emergency only you can help with. That's not a thing. I program Zooms. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently a lot of, uh, uh, well, a lot of, okay, I heard this on a podcast, so it may or may not be true, mm -hmm. but it was a podcast where they were interviewing a real former uh like secret service agent um who said that uh, a like common cover story is to say that you work in it because sure. no one will ask you any follow-up <laughs> questions <laughs> yeah that makes sense um okay so my next note is about the storm 
knocking out the power and people are moving into the shelters. Shaving cream storm. The shaving cream storm. <laughs> um, only puts about two inches on the ground, but still no one can come or go from the town. No, it's impenetrable because of the storm. But I just, you know, and I get why they did it because Ellie has to look like a hero and we're supposed to like feel these feelings about Baxter and then Ellie like saves him and brings him to the inn and I get it. But I'm just like, I don't know. I think if the storm were that bad, there would be like an emergency response. It's pretty gross to see that homeless guy get used as a prop basically in redeeming Ellen in Jake's eyes. Totally. For one thing, who the fuck cares what Jake thinks of Ellen? <laughs> but also, like, anyway, just gross. Gross device. Yeah. Gross plot device. Um, and so she gives her room to a woman and her baby <laughs> because it's a doll half the time. Props, nice going. <laughs> and her, she's got like, I'm going to say a 10-year-old daughter as well, 12-year-old maybe. I think she's younger than that. Oh, maybe. I think she's like seven. Oh, maybe. So anyway, she gives them her room. Yep. And charity. Yeah, exactly. And the husband isn't, they make, they go to pains to say that there's a husband, but he's not there because he's stationed in Germany. He's deployed somewhere. Exactly. He's a a war hero. So just so we're clear on that. That should probably be on the bingo card somewhere. War hero? Well, just someone who's stationed. There's, there's several Hallmark movies I can think of where it's like, is my deployed loved one going to get back in time for Christmas? For sure. So anyway, Jake sees Ellen with the baby and he kind of goes, oh. <laughs> it's real <laughs> subtle. Yeah. I also use this as an opportunity to check off bonding over a dog on my bingo card. Oh. Because Douglas, a stuffed dog, Oh, that's right. Really nice move. Yeah, it's true. So I felt pretty good about that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. They're really trying to, at this point in the movie, which I think is pretty pretty much the time of the movie where this usually happens, they're trying to make both of the lead people seem more kind of cuddly and relatable. They showed a scene where jake is drawing something oh my god so i guess we're supposed to admire that and um i mean i draw stuff all the time i'm an artist so i'm not mocking people who draw um but there there is a real uh, yet another trope in these movies where if somebody sees you doing that they'll immediately say oh it's too bad you're not doing something with that it like it's too bad you're not monetizing that yep basically yep. And every time i see a scene like that i'm like fuck you movie like just let the guy draw if he enjoys it like yeah he doesn't have to sell prints at andy mcdowell's place or something <laughs> yeah what does it mean do something but she probably means illustrate something for our giftware line like i don't know that probably is exactly what's going to happen oh that's the sequel for sure yeah if there was another one of these and god i hope there isn't um that uh that's probably what where they were going i feel like this is similar and coolie i feel like you can probably relate to this hard but when sometimes when people see me knitting or see something that i've knit for them 
they say you should start an Etsy store. Mm. And, you know, often depending on who the person is, my response is like, oh, that's nice. Like you're trying to compliment me on my skill. Thank you so much. But like, what a terrible way to ruin something you love. It's a capitalist way to measure talent. Yeah, of course. By saying people would pay money for this. Yeah. That's how good you are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. My pal Carly is like a pretty masterful knitter. And so people are often like, wow, that sweater you made is amazing. Would you make one for me? And they're like, hell no. (laughs) This took me like hours of my life. It's not a good return on investment in terms of my like time or money. I'm only going to do this for somebody that I really, really care about. You get a handmade item from me. You know that I really care about you because I refuse to monetize this. Is that the highest form of flattery that we can think of, of admiring someone's work is saying like, you should make money off of this? I guess. I don't know. As someone who also briefly tried to have an Etsy store um, of handmade things, I can also say there's no way, (laughs) there's no way to really make it work unless you're like willing to take some pretty big financial risk anyway after the drawing thing they go for a walk i think he says do you want to go for a walk and she's like outside (laughs) no she says why (laughs) and he says i want to show you something i want to show you something that should also be a line in the bingo card and what he has to show her is i mean it's pretty boilerplate hallmark like it's the yeah this little menagerie of ice sculptures or whatever but he or he said at one point I dragged you up here to look at a bunch of nothing (laughs) he's like his self-deprecation is so annoying to me I mean I generally find self-deprecation to be either a red flag or very annoying Because like, sometimes I think people, I mean, people do it for all kinds of reasons, but I feel like in this context, he's doing it, A, so that the writers can show that he's like a humble down to earth guy. Or damaged. And he's fishing for compliments, right? And like like self-deprecation as a tool for compliments, I am not into, and I feel like that's what's happening here. Also, I love ice sculptures. Sure. Good job again, props. I'm so into these ice sculptures. It's true. That's a fun job to to be the props department who has to like make these ice sculptures. They clearly spent all their time on the ice sculptures and not on the (laughs) sign for the inn, which looks like it was laser printed with (laughs) like some 90s gift card software. (laughs) Another dig at Hallmark, perhaps. Maybe. they They used to have that software. Um, before the baking montage the next morning, I oh believe they end off their walk in his like back office of the inn and he like gives her this little, or no, she goes back to her room and she sees this little like, um, bobblehead Santa toy that he oh, right. has gifted her. This like, it becomes, it comes up later. It's a very meaningful token. Right. She makes a joke at the, this is at the beginning of this scene. She makes a joke about how it's worth a million dollars, which also will come back. Yes. There's also like another cute sort of self-aware moment 
uh, where after they like have this failed kiss outside of the out ice sculptures, she like exits the wrong way. <laughs> she's like That's trying right. to run away, and he's like, "No, uh, yeah, the end over there," which is like, you know, <laughs> I can get into it. Like a lost in a field of ice sculptures. Um, so the next morning, there's a baking montage at the cafe, and she's making a million gingerbread men cookies, putting them into artful mason jars wrapped with a plaid Christmas ribbon, and then delivering them to various local businesses in exchange for donated items. In exchange for real expensive things. <laughs> That they're donating to a silent auction for the Christmas people, dance. Yeah, people the are going to silent auction. Like, oh, the Santa dinner! I'm so sorry. She got stuff like, did I see a surfboard on top of her car? I yeah. think it was. Or a, was it like skis? I think it was like a boogie board. So here, here are the things. If I was at the Santa dinner, that I would bid on that she has collected. Oh man, I should have. I didn't even think to make a list. Oh like my god, that. I was obsessed. I love handmade small town goods so much. Um, a hum wooden hummingbird feeder in the shape and painted as a hummingbird. Mm -hmm. Very into that. A very nice quilt. Mm -hmm. um, a desktop Mac. I wrote LOL desktop Mac question mark. That's like a $2,000 iMac that yeah. she just no joke. exchanged the jar of cookies for. Uh, right. and, and he's like, I'll never give it to you. <laughs> okay, okay, you broke me down. Um, so, and the last item was a toboggan. Some very nice wooden toboggans. I think lovely. there were two of them. She had a whole carload of lovely stuff yeah. that she got in one afternoon. Aunt Debbie's enormous Volvo station wagon. Meanwhile, Jake apparently has been working on this thing for months <laughs> and has gotten next to nothing from people. So, does that mean people in the town think of Jake the way we think of Jake? And they're like, oh, here comes Jake, for fuck's sake. Like, no, I think that Jake is probably... Or he's just up his own ass too much. He's like low self-esteem, won't talk to anybody. No, I, th I think he I probably is... don't deserve that, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's getting someone's old, like, uh, Windows 95 PC. <laughs> <laughs> In exchange for a Santa toy. God. I love this errand montage. Baking montage followed immediately by an errand montage. So into it. They love a montage in this movie. Gray Pittman shows up. <sighs> Gray shows up and is a dick to everybody. Is a so, dick to everybody. Not surprising. I yeah. mean, that's his function in this movie. That's exactly. That's, that's pretty much what always happens. It would be weird in a Hallmark movie if a boyfriend came to town and everyone was like, oh, what a great guy. Like that never happens. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be on anyone's rate. And again, you know, acknowledging that Gray is like the kind of caricature of the like evil, bad, big city boyfriend. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to occur to anyone else in this movie that they're like engaged and presumably <laughs> have like spent longer than like two days together, which <laughs> is the entire basis of the Jack, uh, Jake and Ellie relationship. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, we spent a day together. We almost kissed. And now I'm going to collect some donations. Like that's, that's their relationship. Yeah. I think and this I was... Oh, go ahead. I can really give Gray some like 
benefit of the doubt <laughs> in the sense that like you know uh he just showed up and his fiance is like I don't have time to hang out with you at this twee inn I have to go bake <laughs> he's like you've been here for two days like WTF what is going on yeah sure I think this was the point in the movie where I started to compare Gray and Jake to like Christopher and Luke from Gilmore Girls because mm. um, one is the you know rich mm-hmm. good looking but irresponsible well not irresponsible he's you know he's just not he's unlikable yeah yeah, yeah and then I mean one's a- definitely the angel and one's definitely the Riley of the, <laughs> of the bunch <laughs> finally we so, so terms we can understand <laughs> So then this is where um, after Gray shows up and she's like, I'm abandoning you. I have to go bake BRB. At some point she's reading over the letters and crying about her mom's illness, which I thought was like a touching, sad moment. Although I have to say the content of the letters is not nearly detailed enough to be an annual report back Mm. to your friend slash former business partner. Um, but I get it. It's a movie. Um, and then we go to the bar where uh, Jake orders a Jack Daniels on the rocks. Hold the rocks. Yeah. He's he's distraught. Meanwhile, Christopher is drinking an apple teeny or something. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then they say to each other, it's the innkeeper. It's the fiance. <laughs> that is such is a another... moment yeah um i wouldn't it have been amazing if they just made out yeah instead of like what an incredible change i feel like there wasn't like overt homoerotic tension for me in this scene but like it wouldn't have been that many steps to like the left to get there a few more drinks yeah totally i think this is also the scene where they really spell out that gray like epitomizes the man that jake's wife left him for right like i feel like they really spell it out in this scene one way or another he literally says i left new york because of people like you yes precisely this is why the duvernay test is such a useful tool of like and like i'm like we don't learn anything about gray's backstory like he's a ding dong but like what's his story like where did he grow up? What is he interested in? Like, he could be a complex, interesting character. He's not in this movie, but he could be. So after, so Gray spills the beans about who she is yeah. in that bar scene. And then Jake goes and Googles her. <laughs> and there's, again, props, nice going. There's this lovely fake search engine. Yeah, Google. Looks like it took all of 10 seconds to create. Um, Jake sees the search results and goes fooled again <laughs> like he's Eeyore or something why it's so stupid I don't understand why that's fooled again I guess his wife fooled him but <laughs> fiance what was it a wife fiance? they were married yeah yeah yeah, I mean, who knows? Um, I, maybe this happens every Christmas. 
someone comes to the end and he's like, the game. He looks her up. He's like, oh, she's an heiress again. It's like a fairy tale kind of curse. It's like the opposite of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Every year, a beautiful woman appears in his inn. Uh, and he oh, now that you mention it, that is the plot monster. of the Christmas Shrek movie. <laughs> wow it's not not. okay (laughs) so he tells her off and she's gonna leave on christmas eve without delivering the letter yeah she's gonna leave the letters with jake and then jake refuses right he's like nope we can't be responsible for valuables left at the inn and she's like fine she's like fine every male in my life is a dickhead (laughs) (laughs) i'll I'll leave the letters with andy mcdowell yeah yeah seriously so then she we learn later that she is planning on couriering them from the airport <laughs> to Z, as you do as you do and you know those airport couriers are open very late it's like oh, yeah. if you need to send in a grant application and every other post office is closed you Just can go, go to the to airport Pearson. Have you yeah, done that, Cooley? Are you speaking from experience about I that? I have. I have done it once. It's a pro trick. I yeah, that that is a pro trick. Yeah. Um, I think the so I wrote in all every time Gray arrives, I write in all capital letters because it's always so dramatic. But when she's checking out, she's like hugging aunt debbie her like maternal figure in this town and gray is honking the horn at her i lost it i think i might have (laughs) exclaimed out loud you fucking asshole can you imagine that happening in real life like you're hugging someone goodbye and your partner who's in the car beside you starts honking yeah they're like tiktok um, Jake's sad sack breakup song is Silent Night. He's listening to Silent Night in his office, moping that Ellie's gone. That's <laughs> uh, great. This is like the the next like whatever. However much left is left of this movie is like all just manufactured drama because nothing has changed in circumstance at all for anyone since the beginning of this movie nothing is different Mm -hmm. um so this is totally melodramatic and then we and then yeah so they're in the car she realizes that they have to go back to get the letter and gray says (laughs) something about how this is a neurotic cutesy family business tradition which i'm like spot on that's exactly (laughs) what this is like (laughs) why does this matter and then there's this like further manufactured drama about this secret of her identity Mm -hmm. um and they like totally go overboard he says what are you gonna learn from a bunch of hicks oh yeah (laughs) so rough brutal and then she's like well at least i know i don't belong with you dumps him at a gas station i do think her breakup line like that and then the follow-up is really amazing you should go to hawaii by yourself i'm sure you'll enjoy the company (laughs) love that snap i know i was really and then she gets back on the bus 
Yeah. I really wish that her seat companion from the first trip was still there. Kathy Garver. Yeah, Kathy Garver just riding the bus mm -hmm. every day. That old lady. <laughs> um, so then we're at the Santa party. The bus takes her directly to the Santa party. Yeah, that's where it was headed. Yep. Where she learns that he has done something with his art. He framed his art. He put he, it in the auction. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yep. Framed oh, his wow. art. Mm-hmm. He did really something with that. it. He did something with it. He's going to raise money with it for charity. I guess that's all right. Now we'll be able to assign a monetary value to his art. And Santa has a very special message, which is, thanks for donating to charity. <laughs> Do we know what the charity is? Uh, is it is it like a like a food for folks in need situation is that why it it's a santa like dinner that. right yeah, i think it's something like that right because there's no actual dinner at the event it's an auction and a dance yeah. right okay. maybe we missed the dinner we don't know yeah maybe, maybe we were we were out there breaking up with gray <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she gets she gets there and i think everyone no it hasn't been revealed to everyone who she is because he does that yes and, Zeke does it. and when he does that maybe because it's him doing it yeah the whole town loves her yes i mean they love her by now anyway i guess because she's met everyone in the town to trade jars of cookies for their <laughs> actual valuables <laughs> yeah but uh yeah and zeke is santa and zeke is santa yes um so he reads yes he reads the the christmas letter from that year the missing christmas letter uh, which names her CEO, and then her dad is there. Her dad is there, of course. And she, right after that reveal, she's like talking to him about this like idea she has for a product line, and he says, "Let's talk about work tomorrow morning. It's Christmas Eve." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, is Christmas Day a better time to talk work?" <laughs> dad he's, this is so he's weird like, yeah i got a bunch of contracts for you to sign tomorrow yeah <laughs> got a bunch of paperwork um this also um this this scene andy mcdowell andy mcdowell andy, yeah. andy mcdowell gets up on stage and sings a harmonized version of silent night which is the most awkward performance i've maybe ever heard or witnessed it's, it's a shame because she can sing i'm sure that she can it is not demonstrated in this scene it is so uncomfortable as soon as she started singing silent night i made a note oh jake is gonna fly into a blind rage now <laughs> but yeah, he didn't he slow danced <laughs> with uh, ellen okay so th this is a scene that i would like to solicit feedback from our listeners about cooley i would love to hear your thoughts on this this has come up in the past who dances to christmas music mm. do you know or have you yourself ever slow danced to silent night that seems like i get it as a tool in this movie and in almost every christmas movie i get it it's fine i want to know if a person out there has danced to a Christmas carol, please write and tell me the circumstances. I can't imagine dancing to Silent Night. I just think it would be so awkward. 
those are all my notes for this movie. I stopped writing notes after the Silent Night fiasco. This movie like really goes hard on the like, we're going to have like an ending. We're going to have a moral to this story. People will have like learned something about like how to be a good person at Christmas time. Is it better that they like try to make some kind of social commentary or is it way worse? I guess I feel like the target audience for these movies, the morality tied up in it will like almost always be like, I will almost always be critical of it. It will almost always be lacking because it'll be like about charity not like meaningful change you know it's like and and I think the scene where she Ellie is sharing the room with the mom and the two kids and the husband who's deployed overseas is a really good example of that because that's supposed to give you like feel good feelings like oh she's doing this generous thing giving this mom her bed she's gonna sleep on the couch and I'm like yeah that's a nice thing to do but like it's actually just like basic decency and like wealth distribution like she doesn't need that entire bed to herself three people who are like one unit need it it makes sense that she would take a smaller sleeping surface like that didn't give me warm and fuzzy feelings I was like nadoy I guess that's meant to be growth for her because she is wealthy and for sure she's not really used to thinking that way yeah and I think it is growth for her character but I think that like that level of growth is supposed to be like like uh more significant in this movie Mm. like of an impact than it lands at least for me thematically i guess they're being kind of cute we're being like she's going to be the head of this company that you know makes and sells giftware and now she's gone to the town where this company originated to learn the values of the company, essentially, of, yeah. of being given. And I'm sure all of their products are very <laughs> inspirational and, <laughs> and worthwhile. This company kind of reminds me of Regal. Do either of you remember yes. Regal? Yes. I, think it was a, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was a Canadian no. like gift catalog company. And then they also like seem to have like a bit of social conscience in that they're like, oh, we're going to cast black characters, <laughs> um, but we're only going to cast them within like the most narrowly defined parameters possible. We're only going to cast them as characters that could just as easily be played by a white person yeah. uh, with zero changes. They're not going to like um do we Cooley you I think you made the most robust notes of any of us do you have anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about all my notes are done yeah me too except for how terrible that version of Deck the Halls was over the credits oh I didn't even listen to it I didn't listen to it (laughs) I think Netflix like cut out and I just let it happen no I mean what I tried to do which is a total disaster thing to try to do was to like think about what the themes of this movie were Mm -hmm. and I started to be like oh it's about all of these like dualities it's about the city versus the (laughs) rural you know like there's like a politics to this right yeah um it's about tradition versus innovation it's about like ambition versus care but then I was like but 
who are these, what are these values for and for whom? Like, it's like, oh yeah, if responsibility is a value, it's like, well, responsibility to who? <laughs> um, Your company. <laughs> yeah. Once again, I the mean, three of us in the time we have spent watching, making notes and thinking about this movie collectively, we've put more time into this movie than the screenwriter probably did. <laughs> Certainly a lot of the cast. So where, we didn't where, talk about where's our jar of cookies, Nicole? I know. That's right. Where's our jar of cookies? We also didn't it. talk about how she's like clumsy, but also an incredible athlete. Um, <laughs> yeah. like that just vaults over that Christmas display. It's impressive. And then in the in the letters, they're like, she's really getting good at her gymnastics. Oh, right. But she's like oh. constantly falling all over everything. Well, that's a that's a wrong contro. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason. I guess they they just like to see. Do, do women watch rom-coms and see a woman like falling down and shitting her pants and being like, I can relate to that. I hate when that happens. Well, I think it's like, it's like if you think about like Audrey Hepburn, who's like, was very graceful. And it's like the, the modern woman, quote unquote, like isn't like that, right? So it's like trying to create a relatable character. Yes. You know where else that's a common trope, the clumsy character spot? Twilight. <laughs> I was gonna say, is there? What are the names of the guys in Twilight? Edward and Jason. Jacob. 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 How dare you? <laughs> Twilight is, has come up repeatedly in this podcast. Scott, which of these people is the Edward, and which of them is the Jason? Which of the love? Jacob. Jason. <laughs> it's Jason. I think Jason is clearly Jake, and Edward is clearly. Uh, Who's Jason? <laughs> Jacob. The werewolf is clearly Jake, the innkeeper. And Edward, the vampire, is clearly gray. For a second, I thought we were calling back to the... Okay. Well, I think we've talked about how this movie could be queerer. Yes. We've oh, talked yeah. about how non-monogamy would have solved some problems in it. If you could stand to be in a triad with those two. You know, there's someone for everyone. I mean, I do want to watch the version of this movie where Andy McDowell is like the powerhouse queer aunt. Like, mm. why wasn't she the queer aunt? Like, sure, she dated her dad in high school, but like, who cares? You can be queer and date him in high school. That's probably why you're queer now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good call, Cooley. I want to see that movie too. Yeah, that would be a way better movie. Cooley, would you recommend this movie to someone? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is rarely yes. Yeah, because we're on a Zoom call, we got to see the expression on her face. <laughs> it was a it was a visual chortle, I would say. <laughs> well, Allison, thank you so much for being a guest on Podcast in a Queer Tree. Oh my so God, much. thank you guys for having me. I'm delighted can't wait to uh talk to you about all the other movies i'm watching and get you uh get you on this train welcome to the rest of your holiday <laughs> i mean i did read several articles uh today about the like circular 
world building nature of all of these movies and the fact that like so many of them are on the tv in some scene netflix yes. holiday yeah. movie universe the netflix yeah. holiday movie universe yeah it's like a fractal of hallmark fictions it's cube it's netflix cube it's cube. <laughs> cube. cube christmas cube christmas cube <laughs> okay well thanks cooley Thank, Thank you so much. Bye. 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 You have been listening to Season 1, Episode 11 of A Podcast in a Queer Tree by Nicole Marcoux and Scott Marshall, with special guest Allison Cooley. Visit apodcastinaqueertree.com for this episode's links, plus our social media and a link to our Patreon. Don't forget to play bingo along with us when you're watching holiday movies. You can find the cards at hallmarkmoviebingo.com. Our theme music is by a current librarian and a someday centenarian. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow. But whatever you do, we love you. Happy holidays.